So we are going to dismiss Children for Children's Church. And you can follow Mr. Kevin Wenzel out the North Door Kids. That's ages 4 through 1st grade. You know, as we were singing that song, You Are My King, I was thinking both Reagan and, and Marty have taken that very seriously. Saying, you are my king, Lord, and I want to obey you. My life is yours. Here I am. So take it and do with me what you will. And they are willing to be spent for the gospel. And it's humbling. <laughs> it's challenging. But it's also, I rejoice in it. Because people need to hear about Christ. It's going gonna, it's gonna to change their eternal destiny. And God sent his son for that very reason. So we should be encouraged by that. And, and I have mixed emotions because I love the Heckmans and I don't want to see them go, but I'm also rejoicing in what God is doing in them. So what a great thing to celebrate and to look forward to and to support. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a conversation with a person or maybe even a group and you're identifying issues that are causing conflict between you and that person or that group? And you're able to enumerate them, but by the end of the conversation, you wonder, have we resolved anything at the end of the conversation? Are we on the same page, or have we just enumerated the things that are going to cause conflict in the future? Here we are in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. He's about ready to wrap those things up, and if you want to open up your Bibles to chapter 12... We're going to pick it up at verse 11 here in in Paul's letter. And he's announcing that, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming to visit you for a third time. But he seems to need to readdress some of these matters he's already mentioned in a very frank fashion in order that his visit to them is going to be encouraging and building up rather than confronting and having to rebuke them. Now, I don't know what you were thinking as Patty read that passage. It's, it's not one of those feel-good passages, is it? You look at it and kind of go, okay, what's pastor going to do with this one? And we need to be careful not to read our own values or own sense of style on, Paul, on Paul's writing style or that of the time. If you, if you value like economy of words in your writing and your reading, you may be thinking, come on, Paul, we're just beating a dead horse. We've been talking about this for two chapters now, and it seems like we're just doing, we're just repeating what we've already talked about, these conflicts. However, here's the truth. You and I are not privy to what were the nuances and, and the issues that were there between Paul and the Corinthian church. But more importantly, let's also step back. And realize that this is God's word. And even though we may not initially grasp it, if we will linger in it long enough, if we will stay there and say, God, what do you have to show me? He has something that he wants to show us about himself or about us or both. And we are not in the same life circumstances as that of Paul and the Corinthians. But there are some timeless principles here that we're going to look at. And I formulated them kind of in questions about how we live before one another, 
before the Lord and how that happens day in and day out. The subject matter of this passage is conflict between a pastor and his flock. That's what's going on here. And I know there's a risk of this seeming, uh, what? Making myself look self-righteous or what have you. Uh, I want to tell you what I'm going to bring up today. I've got no axe to grind. I've got no agenda here. It is what the Word revealed. Um, but here's what I do want you to know. And this is what I'd like you to write on the top of your, your notes if you're, if you're taking notes. God wants to minister to you through your pastor. I don't see anyone taking notes. God wants to minister to you through your pastor. But the question is, is there, is there unresolved matters that's preventing that? Is there something in the way? Something that's gotten in the way? That's where we're going today. So, again, this is what God's Word has brought up, and I pray that it will sharpen us and make us more like Jesus. So let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in today. So, Lord Jesus, this is a, a challenging passage, but it was what you were doing through Paul and what you were doing in the Corinthians, and you want to do something in us today as well. So give us ears to hear, and use this pastor, as flawed as he is, to bring your word, your truth, to our hearts and help us to respond in spirit and in truth. So Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen. So God wants to minister to you through your pastor. So question number one is, do you come to church to be entertained or to hear the word of God? And I believe there's a difference. Do you come to church to be entertained or to hear the Word of God? Let's just read the first half of verse 11. I have made a fool of myself, but you drove me to it. <laughs> what? Well, if you were here last week, you were with us in chapter 11, starting at verse 16 where Paul enters into what I call a diatribe of foolish boasting. And also, he talks about all the things that he suffered in following Christ, but and also highlighting some extraordinary spiritual experiences that he had. But he's doing this to break through the spell of the Colossians, or the Corinthians, I should say, being enamored with those who are called super apostles. It's like, guys... I want to break through. You're, you're getting sucked into these false apostles. Here's the problem. When he does this, when he enters into this foolish boasting, it's actually what they kind of like to hear. Let's just re review, just a sample size, okay? Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day at the open sea. And I think for some of the, the Corinthians, like, yeah, I love that. That's so cool. It's like action stuff. It's like reality TV for the, the Corinthians. As he talked about his superiority over that of these super apostles. It's entertaining. And I want more. I'm here for the show. And you're preaching. 
rather than to be transformed by God's Word and the Gospel. And that can be true today, even. I remember having a conversation with someone who was dissatisfied with my preaching style. He says, Pastor, I want you to inspire me. Oh, okay. And then he pointed to, well, and he felt like he, I, okay, here's an example. Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. That's kind of what I want. I'm going, okay, that's a high, that's a high bar right there, right? That's pretty high. Or, or he pointed to a, a time when I did a, a sermon kind of as, as a first person drama. Didn't realize how much work went into that. It wasn't just a one-week deal. It was multiple weeks planning into, um, into the holiday season. Now, I, I want to give grace. I want to give grace. But here's what I want you to know. Every pastor that's worth his salt, as he sees the Word of God, he wants to present it in a way that's delicious and nutritious, Right? I want to make the Word of God attractive. I want to have connecting points. But my first goal is to be faithful to the message in God's Word first because God has something to say to you, to me, through His Word. This is His Word. It's active and living. And we need to hear it. And even if it's something as boring as a genealogy, There's something that God wants to show you about himself in all those things. And here's the question. Are we listening? Are we listening to what God wants to say through his word? Or are we saying, entertain me, pastor. Make it interesting. Tell me a story that's going to make me, you know, interested. Proclaiming Christ and him crucified maybe is not as exciting as Paul rattling off all the the trials that he went through. But if you put your faith in that, it will save your soul for eternity. What Paul talks about all his troubles will not. It's entertaining, it's interesting, but it won't save you. God's Word, every week, if a pastor is being faithful to the Word, is saying something to you. Are you listening? Or you just look merely to be entertained? You see, God wants to minister to you through your pastor. And the second thing is, do you get caught up in comparing your pastor to other preachers? Let's pick it up in the second half of verse 11. I ought to have been commended by you, for I'm not in the least inferior to the super apostles, even though I am nothing. I persevered in demonstrating among you the marks of a true apostle, including signs, wonders, and miracles. Now certainly, Paul, as an apostle, Christ's sent one, had to come out and demonstrate the power of God and the truth of the gospel through signs and miracles. And you know what it says is interesting. He says, and I persevered in these things. Why did he say I had to persevere in these things? Because there was opposition in Corinth. There were people coming after Paul. And and Jesus has to come to Paul in in a dream. And it says in Acts 18, verses 9 through 10, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. 
Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul persevered in this. He was faithful to his call as an apostle. But even though he did, he was faithful, the Corinthians persisted in their comparison to other preachers. They should have honored him, but they degraded him. And it's true then, and it's true now. A good friend of mine has moved from a community he's lived in for a long time to a new one. And that means he's moved to a new church. And he's found one where he thinks he you know, really likes the pastor and how he preaches the word. But he also went out with a parishioner and played tennis with him. And the parishioner came up to him one day and says, So, what do you think about the pastor's sermon this last week? And my friend is, he's a wily, uh, you know, mature Christian, and his Holy Spirit spidey sense went up. He says, what, what do you mean? Well, it turns out that this particular parishioner is a sharp cookie. And he, after hearing the, ser- the pastor's sermon, went online and compared his sermon to all the other heroes he has online. Whether it's a John MacArthur, John Piper, you know, Francis Chan, whoever it is. And compared. And my friend wisely said, you know what? I think that God's message to our congregation is what God gives our pastor this week. And that guy didn't necessarily like that. Because he liked to compare. He liked to find where the pastor maybe didn't include this point, or he didn't say that point. Maybe it gives him a sense of superiority over the pastor, or I don't have to listen to him. I don't know what it is. But the question is, are you comparing You know, sometimes it's just a matter of substance, I mean style over substance. Someone is saying the exact same thing, they're just saying it differently, and and you like it said a different way. Okay. Sometimes, it. I mean, we have to admit, there are some that are more gifted than others. I am nobody's Chuck Swindoll. I know that. But I think I'm being faithful with God's Word. But also, we have to know this. You have to know this. Your preacher online doesn't love you. He doesn't love you. He's not going to come to the hospital when you're in the hospital. He's not going to come to your funeral. He's not going to, you know, be there when times are tough. He's not going to take your phone call. But the local pastor will. Because he's committed to the flock. Because he is Christ's under-shepherd to that flock. Let's be careful not getting into to comparison. Because God wants to minister to you through your pastor. So do you continually view your pastor with suspicion? Verse 13. How were you inferior to other churches except that I was never a burden to you? Forgive me for this wrong. You see, Paul didn't ask for finances to be supported by the Corinthian church. He took money from other churches. He used his own money as a tent maker and supported himself so that he might offer the gospel in Corinth free of charge. That there might not be that um, obstacle in the way. But somehow it becomes a point of suspicion, a point of contention in the Corinthians' eyes. And we're not really sure why. Like, really? That's a problem? 
But Paul seeks to address it with sincerity. So look at verse 14. And now I'm ready to visit you for a third time. And I will not be a burden to you because what I want is not your possession, but you. Look, you guys, I don't want your stuff. I want your hearts for Christ. And then he seeks to illustrate this kind of as a parent-child illustration. Listen to this in the second half of verse 14. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will gladly spend for you everything. And I have and, and I have and expend myself as well. If you love me, if excuse me, if I love you more, will you love me less? Guys, what's the problem here? And then Paul kind of descends into a little bit of sarcasm. I think he, I think he thinks it's his spiritual gift. But he says, be that as it may. I have not been a burden to you, yet crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Boy, I pulled the wool over your eyes and not being supported by you financially, didn't I? That was a real trick. That was real, you know, skullduggery, cloak and dagger. And the obvious answer is no. He's not taking advantage of anybody. He's not tricking anybody. But again, the Corinthian suspicion persists. And Paul feels like, I I can't win. I can't win here. And what about those who Paul sent? Verse 17. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you and and sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same Spirit? Look, when I sent those guys, didn't they act just like me? With the same spirit? Was there any, any contradiction in that? No. Unfortunately, sometimes that thing still happens. God's people view their pastor with suspicion. I don't always know why, but it happens. Because we live in a fishbowl as pastors, we can live under scrutiny, and sometimes we feel like we can't win. I remember... A few years back, probably about five, six years ago, we were trying to fund our, our benevolence fund. And I had in my mind, you know what? Sometimes God motivates people by seeing their leader be an example. So I told the people, I said, look, I said it publicly, I am kicking in $40 for this benevolence offering. Now $40 is not a great amount of money, but it's not chump change either, Right? A little less than half a, a gas tank these days, it seems like. But it's, it's something. And you know what? If 100 people give $40, that's $4,000. That's a big dent. And my point was, look, let's bond together. Let's do this together. And we can raise some significant money for a good cause to, to love our people in a very tangible way. And then I was approached by somebody who says, you know, you saying that out loud, it just seems like you were boasting or bragging or, you know, trying to make much of yourself. And I felt horrible. Because I know, I know there are passages in the Sermon on the Mount that says, you know, don't do your giving before men. I understand that. But I also know King David gave generously in public and the people and his leaders joined in. And that was my motive. But nobody asked me about that. 
Nobody asked me, well, what are you trying to do, pastor? They just assumed. They just went there and, and assigned me the worst motive possible. And if you have questions about my motives or why I'm doing something or what Neil's doing or what have you, hey, we want to be transparent. We're, we're an open book. Come and talk to us. But don't assume, first of all, that you know. And second of all, if you have a question, come and ask. But don't slander and don't spread gossip. It's not good for the body. And it's not good for you. You have to know that our hearts are trying to be pure towards the body of Christ and, and, and His kingdom. God wants to minister to you through your pastor. Do you understand that it's God's sight and opinion that really matters? Look at verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ. And everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. He's basically saying, Corinthians, don't fall into the deception that the validity of my call is on whether you think I'm a true apostle or not. God is the one who validates a leader, a pastor, and their call, and their faithfulness to that. Think about this. Moses, the great prophet, who's called to take Israel out of Egypt. There are many times the majority was against him. Let's find leaders and head back to Egypt. That's a great idea. No, that was just the majority of people who were being dissatisfied and grumbling. The validity of a pastor, of a leader, is not found in a majority rule, if you will. Here's what I do want to say. God does indeed judge both the speaker and the listener. And certainly, Paul does engage the Corinthians about the validity and veracity of his apostleship. But he's doing this to point the Corinthians toward the truth of the gospel in opposition to the false apostles and bringing a false gospel, not to legitimize their approval. God in the person of Jesus Christ came to Paul and commissioned him and approved him, not the apostles. Excuse me, not, not the Corinthians. You know, here in town, there was a pastor, and I've told this story before, but he, he had a, an associate who kind of gathered people behind him and ousted the senior pastor. The associate became the senior pastor, and this, this pastor got ousted. And he was kind of surprised. He was kind of flabbergasted and kind of going, okay, God, well, did I hear you wrong? Did I, you know, did I miss the call? And, and God said, no. In fact, I want you to plant a church here in town. And so he did. He planted a church. And I want to tell you, it's a church that's impacting the city greatly. If I named it to you, you'd know exactly who and what it is. And that pastor is still there serving faithfully. Because God called him. 
That associate, he lasted about three to five years. Things got hard, something else came along, and he's out of here. But this man knew that God called him, and that's what he leaned into. And here's the truth. You know, pastors can be removed, especially if they're being ungodly or unbiblical. But again, it's not the the opinion or the preferences of the people that validate a man's call. And here's something also that Paul adds to this. At the end of the day, your pastor is not looking to be right. Your pastor is not looking to win. Your pastor is looking to have the flock, that is the body, be built up in Christ. That's what he wants. Look at verse 19 at the end of it. And everything we do, dear brothers, is for your strengthening. Everything we do is for your strengthening. It's no good if Paul is proved theologically correct, but the whole church of Corinth goes off and follows false apostles and a false gospel. That's not a win for Paul. He wants those people to be connected to their true Savior, to their true head in Jesus Christ, and that the body would be built up. And that people would not be these independent Christians out there just doing their own thing. I'll tell you what, I am very concerned about Christians who say, I don't need the church I just need Jesus and me, and we'll do very well, thank you. Because those Christians are not allowing themselves to be built up and ministered to by Jesus in his body. And they're missing out on what God wants to do in them and through them. And oftentimes, I think they keep their independence because they don't want to be called out on maybe some things that they're doing that are not so godly that are not so Christ-like. God wants to minister to you through your pastor. Do you accept and receive your pastor even in his weakness? Let's look at verse 20. For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. And we'll, we'll address that here in a minute. And you may not find me as you want me to be. Hmm. You see, this again gets back to the Corinthians' desire for Paul to be this kind of lion type of pastor that is eloquent, but also proving his superiority, his strength, in and against other speakers, other leaders, other super apostles. It seems like there was a very competitive spirit at Corinth, and they wanted Paul to flex his muscles. I'm going to date myself here for a moment. Back in the 80s and 90s, there was a ministry called the Power Team. I don't know if any of you heard of it. They're a bunch of muscle-bound athletes, weightlifters, and they'd get out there, and they'd rip phone books in two, and they'd break bats over their knee and smash cinder blocks with their elbow and stuff like that. And they do it in the name of Jesus. And I always kind of wondered about that type of thing because I kind of go, okay, that makes for good theater. It's entertaining. Is that the Christian life? Is that what you're saying? We all need to get in the gym? 
And you know what? If, if, if you came to faith through that, praise God. Because God, God can use things that maybe we, we think are weak. I don't know. But I, I was wondering about that. It's like, what, what, what's the end game here? What's the end game of the power team? Paul instead reveals his weakness. He says, I've got a thorn in the flesh in order to keep me from becoming conceited. And three times I pled with the Lord to take it from me. At the end of the day, he's told, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm probably not coming as that strong pastor that you think you desire, but I am Christ's man. And Christ's power will be displayed through my weakness. And here's the truth, people. Every pastor you meet, whether it's here or at another church, he has feet of clay. He has faults and foibles. He is not bulletproof. And he's far from perfect. You can ask our wives. And not many are candidates for the power team. But if they're allowed to be real, to be vulnerable, to not be perfect, even to be weak at times, and that doesn't mean they're not accountable for their actions, because they are. But as they depend upon Christ, you'll see a new level of spiritual power at work in them and his strength. You know, growing up, my youth pastor was my hero all through high school. And then in college, I got in a small group Bible study with him, and I got a little closer to him. And you know what I saw? His warts. His foibles. His shortcomings. And I kind of got a little disillusioned there. Like, what's up with that? But then, as God moved me on and grew me and actually even called me into ministry, and then having to face that arena myself, all of a sudden my respect for that man actually grew. Because I go, oh, this is what it's like. This is what you endured. This is what you have put up with. And yes, you're still a man with feet of clay. You're still a man of weakness. But I also see how Christ was strong in you in the midst of that. It's in those places of weakness where God's strength can show up. God does want to minister to you through your pastor. So do you take sin seriously? Look at verse 20 again. For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be. So what was Paul wanting to find or what did he not want to find. And he goes on and says, I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. <laughs> These are a lot of the issues that Paul addressed in his first letter. There are factions of people saying, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Peter, right? There's fanboy clubs. It was bringing division in the church. 
There's also spiritual arrogance over spiritual gifts. Well, I speak in tongues. Well, I prophesy. And everyone's looking for an opportunity in the service. So there's mayhem. There's chaos. Says, I don't want that. You've forgotten that this is about building up the body, not about you flexing your muscles spiritually. Paul continues, verse 21, And I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and, when, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they have indulged. In the original language, it's not that I'll be humbled before you, but I'll be humbled as to you, or because of you. I'm going to be grieved because of the sin you have not repented of, and I tried to address it, and I hoped that you would grow in godliness, but you've ignored it. And so when I come, I feel like I'm going to be humbled, because I have an expectation for you to have listened to me and my warnings about sin. And you're not. You're not listening. Do you not understand the insidiousness of sin? That its end is death. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that Christ has set you free, not in order that you can sin or do whatever you want, but He set you free so that you can be free from sin from that death, from that destruction in your life. And this is the battle that we're fighting, guys, against sin in us. The Apostle Paul says in chapter 10 of this letter, verses 4 through 6, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. This is the battle we're fighting. Against the old man, against the sin nature in us, to put it to death and to allow Christ to live in us. And also the kryptonite affect of sexual sin on Christians. As he talked about sexual sin. And this is what he addressed in his first letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And it's not that sexual sin is the unforgivable sin or it's the greatest sin. But I will say this. It is a sin that has a greater snare in your heart, in your life. The Apostle Paul and Pastor Brand have walked a few steps and seen people give themselves over to sexual immorality, give themselves over to illicit sexual relationships out of what God intended. And they find we find that these people who claim to follow Christ are finding their faith either shipwrecked or even abandoned their faith in Christ. And I'm not saying everyone who's entered into sexual sin, that's their, their end game. 
But it happens all too often. A person who's strong in Christ, they get connected with somebody who's an unbeliever and they enter into sexual sin, and all of a sudden they disappear. And it concerns me as a pastor because they're choosing their flesh over Christ. They're choosing that relationship over Christ. And it is a danger zone because they're developing bonds physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And it's not what God intended for sexuality, which is between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. That's what God intends. Nothing else. And our world doesn't help us, right? I mean, sex is entertainment, is what it is, right? It's recreation. It's what our movies show us. That's a lot of fun, isn't it? And we've said it doesn't, it's our freedom, it's our self expression, it's my business, nobody else's. Really? You were bought with a price. You're not your own. Honor God with your bodies. And this is to the point where I'm just asking the question, have we been so jaded by our society that we kind of wink at sin, whether it's great or small, where we don't take it seriously, we make it a joke, we, we think it's antiquated, you know, it's just being prudish. Let me tell you folks, that sin, great or small, put Jesus on the cross. He came to live this life. He came to die for us and rise from the dead because of our sin. And that is our only means of salvation. If we're left to our own selves and our own actions, then all we're going to experience is judgment. And that's what's going to happen. God's just wrath is going to come on everyone who will not put their faith in Christ. That is God's righteous judgment. And for those of us who do name Christ, He has a plan of sanctification, of making us more like His Son. Not that we're going to become sinless on this side of heaven, but as we grow in Christ-likeness, we sin less. And that is, it's diminishing its hold on us. Do we take sin seriously? And do we take things like discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition, slander, gossip, just as seriously as we do the big sins of what we think are big sins? Sexual morality, maybe, you know, addiction, what have you. Do we take those as seriously? Because sin is just as insidious in those things and they separate us from God just like the other sins as well. And as a pastor, my desire is to see you set free from sin, not a slave to it. That you're getting victory over that. And I want to tell you one of the best ways to do that is actually to bring it out into the light. One of the coolest things that I've been involved with this last year is our men's ministry. And I love it when guys get vulnerable. Says, you know what, here's where I've blown it. And they confess their sins. It's, it's what James 4.16 says, 5.16 says. If we confess our sins, no. It says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another in order that you might be healed. When you bring those things out into the light, they have less power. And that's what God wants to do in you and in me. Let's take sin seriously.
So at the end of the day, here's what I want you to know. God wants to minister to you through your pastor. I have no axe to grind. This is where the text led me this week. But I want to be honest. If the Holy Spirit has brought up unresolved issues between myself and you or between my Neil and what have you, hey, let's deal with that. Let's not let Satan get a foothold there. Let's deal with those things. And I am certainly not perfect. And perhaps I have a different view of understanding about something, but God wants to minister to you through your pastors. Will you receive what he wants to give you? That's the question. So let me invite Bobby and the worship team to come up, and we'll close and worship here. Let me pray for us as they come up. Lord Jesus, thank you for your good word. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people that are operating under the leaders that you've given us with humility on both sides. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful that you have come for us. And we pray that you'll be glorified in us, spread your kingdom, and come and find a faithful, obedient people when you come. Lord Jesus, it's in your name I pray these things. Amen.